0: They got used to spread this news through radio talks, radio shows, etc. I mean, Alex Jones, big uh, guy from Texas. I mean, I'm delighted to be in the same yeah. state <laughs> with Alex this this Jones. This, this <laughs> is his hometown. Yeah, this is Ho- yeah. hopefully he, he's going to
1: listen to me <laughs> on the podcast. Hey, this is Matt. Today I talked with Ilya Yabolkov. Ilya is a professor from the University of Leeds in the United Kingdom. We talked about, well, we talked about his new book, which is about conspiracy culture in post-Soviet Russia, how conspiracy culture is different from conspiracy culture in the United States. And I think you'll have a blast listening.
0: You're listening to the Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin.
1: Hey there, welcome to the Slavic Connection. I'm your host, Matt. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking a fantastic guest we have today with us, Ilya Yablokov. No, no one, one
0: ever called me a fantastic person. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Well, I, I, I say I, I say that because this is a topic that is just very of, of great personal interest sure. to, to me as somebody who spent a lot of time in Russia and you know very kind of abrasively kind of came into contact with these conspiracy theories, which I, I had never been in contact with before, which we'll we'll get into later. But I think just for the beginning for our listeners, I think it would be interesting if you would talk about just how you got interested in conspiracy theories kind of as a as a, as a topic of, of research interest.
0: That was quite a funny story. So when I was a BA student in Tomsk, Tomsk State University, I was um, doing uh, some essay, I don't remember, on Yelena Blavatskaya and uh, esoterism in, in Imperial Russia. Mm-hmm. So my supervisor at that time Muznik, he said you should definitely look at conspiracy theories that's kind of something related to your project I'm like okay I'll do that I, I certainly read something about that but it, it never crossed my mind that it could be an academic topic so I went for that topic and you know since 2005 I've been doing that research as you can see like for 14 15 yeah. years I I did my dissertation that's a, that's another funny story I started my project on Russian conspiracy theories. In 2005, uh, 2006, I wanted to continue my studies as uh, as a part of my scale PhD in Russia, about history of conspiracy his theories in Russia. And the dean of my faculty of history said, well, you will never defend this dissertation, like you will never pass the board. I said, why? It's such a it's such a useful and interesting topic, you know? I, mean, I think we, we ought to study that. And he said, no, no, you will never pass it, just trust me. Find another topic. I really want to do conspiracy theories, and he said, "Well, let's do something else." <laughs> fine, fine. Let's 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 do conspiracy theories in the United States, and he said, "That's a good <laughs> choice. <laughs> that, that's, that's gonna pass." Okay. And, and the guy was right because when I when I finally presented my dissertation and in Russia, it like it goes in a different way as in the United States or in the UK. So when I presented this topic, kind of the first question at the dissertation defense right. from the board was. So, you say that Jesus Christ was not killed by the Jews. I was like... (laughs) "Um, (laughs) Right. It actually, I had a different topic to pursue. Uh (laughs) And it wasn't the focus of of my research. Uh I said, Okay, next question. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and it was another American conspiracy theorist. Uh-huh. Can you can you imagine the perception of Russian conspiracy theories by the same board? And my dissertation lasted for five hours. Wow. Yeah, which is so a yeah, long you time. can you can see that the, the project is very relevant to contemporary Russia
1: Yeah and I mean, is it your perception that, I mean, at, at least when you were in Russia, that there was kind of a reluctance to talk about conspiracy theory discourse in in Russia? Do you have any... Did, does that feel like that's changing at all? Is that still the same? Do you think that there would be still the same reluctance if you said, hey, I want to write about conspiracy theories in Russia?
0: Well, now it's different because quite a few publishers already released book titles about right. conspiracy theories. So that would be perceived as a normal topic right. by let's say intellectuals or general public that is interested in non-fiction literature right. and in fact I am writing my Russian book based on that one Right. Uh, for quite a big publisher that is interested in this which is quite fine with the with the topic and with the scope they know how to pitch it to a general audience who is interested in, in conspiracy theories because like what I do I basically I present a very thorough very solid methodology, right? So that's kind of one, one of the chapters is devoted to that, uh, to the explanation of how conspiracy theories work as a populist, right. right? So in that sense, it's it's easy for me to explain why that is a normal nonfiction uh, book. However, in general, among ordinary Russians, no matter who they are, no matter what their educational level, no matter what is their position in the let's say political hierarchy, it is so common to see the secret plan, mm-hmm. the plot of someone's you know mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. scenario behind any events, almost any events. And I'm telling, you, like when Notre Dame <laughs> was on fire, yeah, you can imagine how many people from my Facebook friends. Uh, newspaper was saying oh my god that must be a sign oh my <laughs> god it must be a plan of macon to finance reconstruction of notre dame
1: bloody hell <laughs> it was so all just- destroyed <laughs> yeah, what kind yeah, of reconstruction yeah, is that yeah yeah
0: so you, you, you instantly get yeah. that response that is it's someone else's plan behind that yeah and that is at some point it's actually it's quite scary but on the other hand that tells us something about Russian mentality and yeah. Russian kind of you know environment that constantly produces, reproduces uh, conspiracy theories.
1: Yeah absolutely and one of the big topics that you touch on in your book that I really attached on that I never heard before that I, but I think is absolutely accurate is Thanks. just this idea that in America it's so important that a conspiracy theory is kind of from the ground up, a very kind of salt of the earth. It's the, it's kind of something that the people, uh, it comes up from the people and it's against usually the government. But in Russia, you see a, quite often a very opposite tendency where it's elites who play this big role in seeding the, conser- the conspiracy theory. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, the movement yeah. is downward. Yeah. And in and I and I you know as somebody who follows Russian politicians and high-ranking officials on Twitter, for example, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you you
0: see this all the time—the mm-hmm. way that they are the mm-hmm. ones actively mm-hmm. spreading a yeah, lot of these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, and that's well, I think that's the nature of communication in post-Soviet Russia, mm-hmm. and the traditions of conspiracy theories are so different in the U.S. and in, in and in Russia. In the U.S., it's been a tradition for many decades or even hundreds of years right and kind of people get used to produce these theories and in the 20th century they got used to spread this news through radio talks radio shows etc i mean alex jones uh the guy from texas i mean i'm delighted <laughs> to be in the same yeah. state <laughs> this, this is his hometown yeah this is Ho- yeah. hopefully he, he's going to listen to me <laughs> on the podcast uh, well, he's one of the one of the icons, right, of this of this grassroots movement, who got a big time in, in big politics at some point. Uh, in Russia, now things are slowly changing, mm-hmm. uh, because communication changes too, like social networks are changing it too. Yeah, the internet is changing it too, right? But in general, if you if you speak to ordinary Russians, it most probably they picked up a certain reading of the events on on the network on social network or on the internet or read it in the newspaper right Mm -hmm. we're not going to mention the titles of this media Mm -hmm. but it came from somewhere right it was not generated some of the some of the theories are being generated let's say quite far-right anti-semites etc and that's uh, that's been quite a stable but a very minor a uh, part of this conspiracy culture but unfortunately what we observe for many decades now since 1991 is that these theories are being constantly generated for political purposes by the leadership of political movements by intellectuals who are tied up uh, for example Alexander Perkhanov is a great example of that mm-hmm. of that tradition mm-hmm. Alexander Perkhanov is the person who was very much tied up with the conservative Military block in the Soviet government, right? Uh, I, I don't, I don't exactly remember the title he had. The hulk the of the of the general um, um, of the of the military, something like the that. General staff, something. General like that. staff, yes. Um, and then uh, basically he was supporting these anti-Yeltsin forces in the nineteen mm-hmm. nineties. Yeah, he was very much against that. But then in the in the again, right? In in two thousand and two, mm-hmm. I think. He produced a very popular, or reproduced a very popular conspiracy theory that the Kremlin um, kind of initiated these uh, bombings of the of the buildings in nineteen ninety nine. So basically, it was one of the key scenes in in, in the novel, right? And now, where is Prokhanov now? He is supporting the Kremlin very much. Because one agenda basically became similar to the agenda of far right, and that was kind of that was the movement from both sides. In many ways, it was the Kremlin that was slowly moving towards the far far right agenda, and the far right was trying to make themselves mainstream, and they succeeded in that.
1: Yeah, I, at least at least for me, the conspiracy theories that. Really struck me when I first came to Russia, where all of the conspiracy theories related to the fall of the Soviet Union right. and figures like Gorbachev and mm. Yeltsin, mm. and that, and the, I mean, just this period of history is such a, you know, a, a total, you know, turning over of the world and change of things. And what really struck me is that there were set there's several conspiracy theories and that they all have there's all there's various political flavors there's more conservative ones there's more not necessarily left leaning but yes pro communist ones but then there's also more like ones that are spread even amongst kind of semi liberal intelligentsia people and that and that really struck me for example i the one i think one of my favorites is the one about how about how andropov and in kind of his, when when he was on his deathbed, he said, okay, the only way for kind of the, the, the KGB and the secret services to, is, is to stay in power is to let the people have wild capitalism for a few years, realize that they don't want it, and then they'll w- welcome the Sylvie and other kind of secret services people back and to run the country in an authoritarian state with welcome. Arms, and so that was the plan and it was
0: executed from the highest levels. That was of called government uh, operation Golgofa Golgova, <laughs> that yeah. was the book. But do you realize that it's a very anti siloviki novel? Uh-huh. It's a criticism of that, uh-huh. right uh-huh. And that's kind of that is that was the publication that spread in 1990 it was published in 1995 in a newspaper uh-huh. uh, kind of part of the novel by Mikhail Lubimov under this title. And uh, it caused quite a big scandal in the in the parliament, and and the deputies were demanding to release the official <laughs> papers related to that operation from the FSB. At that at that point, it was called FSK. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, because basically, what we see is like the KGB planned the collapse of the Soviet economy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So who was the audience that 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 wanted to hear that? It, it's unimaginable that this kind of thing would be published today, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, old year 1990s. Yeah. <laughs> In Russia. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and you bring up the audience. That is also the other hard thing for me to, to understand. If these conspiracies are kind of coming from the elites down, are they targeted to certain micro audiences of certain political leadings? or Or is it not that specific? It's more like it's in in fact it's the opposite principle of no, no no this needs to be a conspiracy theory that is will be acceptable as among a, wa- a as as wide a possible a range of people as possible
0: it depends it really depends on, on on a particular conspiracy theories theory first of all um there were very specific conspiracy theories in the 90s for example related to anti-semitism mm-hmm. and anti-jewish attitudes in the 1990s were widespread yeah. so these kind of stories were very popular right and yeah. they were spreading. Uh, for example through connections in the Russian Orthodox Church, right? Mm-hmm. So that was one audience, right? People who follow the clerics.
1: Sure, I can and, say. and
0: and and there was another um conspiracy theory about the nineteen nineties and, and about the nineteen ninety one basically, which was quite widespread. Among far right, but also among intelligentsia, right? The people who who directly suffered from, from the from the Soviet collapse. So, kind of people like my parents who lost lost their careers in many ways had to had to survive had to change their jobs completely had to you know search for jobs search establish businesses lose businesses etc. So it it was hard time. So in that sense, like certain conspiracy theories were much much more popular, and um, there were specific conspiracy theories, for example, spread among. Uh, engineers or mm. IT specialists in the late 1990s and early 2000s, which basically uh, which were claiming that society can be controlled, can be managed as a big, let's say, kind of uh, as a big system yeah, like, like yeah, a program, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so you can program it, right? You can send a certain message and you will get a certain response like it's a big computer so right. it's very much, you know, it's and it's it was very much popular among those people who basically so, knew and so how maths work or how physics works yeah. or how IT works.
1: And so, can we say that the goal of a conspiracy theory like that is to condition, kind of, you know, science people and IT people, condition them to be more acceptable of a very highly managed I, society and government? I
0: I think that the the reason why these conspiracy theories were popular among these people because, uh, these sorts of conspiracy theories appeared online uh, at the very beginning. Yeah. So in in like in late 1990s they could be they could be traced online unlike other publications, right? Mm-hmm. because like in the late 1990s the internet was not that developed yet. but these these societies and these like what we call now publics, right these communities were already quite active. Mm-hmm. And some, some of the websites have not been uh, you know updated since then. So you can still find them in some margins of, of the Russian internet, and they still and they're still quite quite popular. But what, what is important, they they have informed future generations of conspiracy theorists, right? So you cannot understand what is happening now amongst those followers of conspiracy theorists. Apart from, you know, when you don't know what was happening before that, in the late 1990s and early 2000s, because this move from the margins to the mainstream of Russian political culture, kind of, it began in the late 1990s with these conspiracy theories. So most probably we're gonna find those guys who were saying that society can be constructed and can be manipulated so easily, uh among the supporters of the Ukrainian annexation for example
1: right and that kind of makes me think about you know what is the relationship between these new conspiracy theories right ones from the 1990s and on and how many of them are totally new and fresh and then how many are have roots in much older conspiracy theories for example Mm anti-semitism I know that in the 1990s, stuff like, you know, Protocols of the Elder Zion, which was hard to get your hands on in theory in the Soviet Union. Now you get your hands on it everywhere. And there, I, I read uh, Masha Gessen's book recently, and there's a moment in there where one of the characters, apparently one of the Amon riot police at a demonstration was like, oh, have you not read <laughs> Protocols of the Elder Zion? And so these, these texts kind of permeate society and they have very old links. And so I'm wondering... Is there a conscious effort to tie these new conspiracy theories to much older ones?
0: Uh, some conspiracy theories have a, a direct connection to the, let's say, Soviet conspiracy theories. Yeah. Uh, I think what is worth saying is that we cannot ignore totally the Soviet past Yeah. and the Soviet tradition of conspiracy theories. The, the, the thing is, and that's quite a peculiarity of uh, the Russian or Soviet Russian conspiracy culture, is that there were two cultures of conspiracy theories. The first one was the official one because mm-hmm. the Soviet Union was basically waging the Cold War and the Cold War mentality was based on the idea that there's a good good guys and there are bad guys uh, and the bad guys always want to kind of destroy us because that was the war, right? And the unofficial conspiracy culture was among dissidents, right? But then after 1991, these two cultures basically merged and and shaped one conspiracy culture. Among these uh, guys, and among these uh, various conspiracy traditions, right? Certainly anti-Jewish conspiracy theories or, Uh, have been quite popular in the 1990s. In the 2000s, strangely enough, these conspiracy theories moved to criticise the mainstream. So, for example, you can find still some conspiracy theories about Vladimir Putin, who is considered as as a Jew, right? And why he got the power? Because Boris Yeltsin was a Jew. Right? Well, the fact that Yeltsin was a Jew was very, the fact in, in quotation marks, right? It was popular among anti Semites in the 1990s. There were different ways of reading his name. Yeah. Same happens in, with Vladimir Putin. So if you're curious, find it on YouTube. You can still find those, you know, very strange, you know, photographs of some Jews from, from the Vale <laughs> of Settlements. Right? Yeah. And sounds like, oh, look, this guy looks very much like Vladimir Putin. <laughs> it always fascinates me like, to, uh, to, to watch just, these videos. I actually didn't know about but, this. But uh, well, good to you. See so you see how yeah. traumatized I am yeah. <laughs> after my research. Uh, yeah, but then, for so example, some theories are, are brand new. So, for example, this idea of um, anti vaccination, which is so popular now in, in, in the United States it is now popular in Russia in too. Russia, yeah. And and parents share these fears on WhatsApp groups, yeah. right? WhatsApp channels and they discuss it, maybe we should not vaccinate. But again, that kind of brings us closer to a kind of the grand narrative around conspiracy theories and the reasons, the main reasons why conspiracy theories are so popular uh, around the world today. It's a matter of trust, mm-hmm. right? So in the Soviet Union dissidents, did not trust. Nowadays, people tend to criticize the government or other institutions, or the West indeed, because they simply do not trust neither the government, nor bureaucrats, nor, I don't know, the imagined West.
1: Another character who's featured in your book is Vladislav
0: Surkov. That's my favorite guy in the government.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I I also think he's a fascinating figure, although I am <laughs> I'm much more skeptical of kind of his that he, that he's like this I, I think he's an intelligent person, but I don't think he's like I, I think his genius so-called is certainly over-exaggerated. I haven't called him a
0: genius, by the way. I know, that
1: was not you. I'm <laughs> not no, no 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 I'm not <laughs> referencing you by any means. And so he's this person who's often called one of the idea leaders of of Putinism, along with other people like Dugin, but we'll we'll leave him aside for now. And Surkov was part of the president's administration and he was this ideas guy and he was the guy who came up with this idea of sovereign democracy. What role does he play in a lot of these popular conspiracy theories that are prominent in today's Russia?
0: Do you think that Um, he's somebody who spreads them or what is his role in all of this? Uh, I think we should we should decide which of which period are we talking about, right? Because yeah. Surkov lost a lot of his power up to 2011, right? Mm, right. Uh, there was another conspiracy theory <laughs> that Vladislav <laughs> Le- <laughs> Surkov was uh, among the key figures who staged the protests in 2011. Because <laughs> I don't know to what extent it's true, but a lot of people who kind of did not like him uh, basically reported to Vladimir Putin that he was basically helping the opposition to mm-hmm. to lobby these events and mm-hmm. also to kind of to protest against Vladimir Putin. To push on Vladimir Putin and allow Medvedev to run for another presidential right. term. So that was kind of a, that was a big operation successor, too, yeah. in 2011, which was related to, to Medvedev, Surkov, and Putin. Right. And there were a lot of people who about whom I'm writing in the book, like Gleb Pavlovsky, for example, yes, right? who lost his uh, position in the, among, among the Kremlins. Intellectuals in 2011. Thank God, because now we have quite a lot of interesting ideas generated by, by Gleb Pavlovsky. Yeah. So I'm I'm happy that it happened in many ways, uh, but I'm so sorry that it must it might have been painful for Gleb Pavlovsky. Uh, but also Surkov was, was 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 a key
1: guy in the 2000s. Yeah, right. But he but as you said, uh, just to be clear, he was one of the people who was in Medvedev's camp and thought that Medvedev should He run was for a very s- close to
0: Medvedev should yeah. run for a second term. And I think I think he was I don't know that. It's it's rumored, right? By many people that he yeah. was very much in support of Medvedev's presidency in the second term. And I'm sure Medvedev himself was very much in favor of that idea, right? It just the pressure from Vladimir Putin and the guys around Vladimir Putin was much much uh more powerful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um but Vladislav Surkov was important as the guy in the 2000s who basically masterminded the whole idea behind Putin's uh, legacy, Putin's presidency, as, you know, as, as the person who basically puts together the country, right? Mm-hmm. So the country was united around Vladimir Putin, rhetorically, right? Uh, discursively, as we say. Certainly, if you look at uh, the research done by my colleagues, for example, Sam Green at KCL, uh, you're going to see that the, kind of, the picture is much more complicated, and the, and and the whole thing that you know the nation is around Vladimir Putin in many ways it's 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 a, it's an imaginative category. But what Vlad- why Vladislav Surkov was so good at, he took a lot of ideas from abroad, like from America, from Europe, and kind of try to instrumentalize them in domestic policies, especially when it came to the fact that they had to explain why Putin should stay in power, right, and his his intellectual power in that sense was crucial in a, putting together a bunch of experts and intellectuals, such as Gleb Pavlovsky uh, and other guys, right, they, who set up publishing houses? Who set up the media? Who set up programs on on the television? Mm-hmm. Right, that were constantly twenty four hours producing programs and the content, intellectual content, to explain the place of Russia in the world, the place mm-hmm. of Vladimir Putin in in Russian politics, the reason. So it's kind of this brainwashing operation in that uh, in, in that sense was in many ways triggered by Vladislav Surkov. Mm-hmm. And then what we see now, like, to, in today's politics, Vladislav Surkov is certainly not amongst the the, the top players, right, uh-huh. in the Kremlin. He is still quite strong, he is important, that's why when he published this article about the deep state in Russia- Yes, that's what I wanted uh, to talk uh, about. A, lo- a lot of experts are like, oh, he's back, finally, so <laughs> what, what, what is he saying? Uh-huh. But, okay, go ahead with your but question he, but, about deep state. But, but yeah, so, I was fascinated by this latest Sorkov
1: article, article and everybody was talking about it. And that's what really got me interested because I, you know, again, on Twitter, these people like Alexei Pushkov, who's mm-hmm. a very notable kind of anti-American mm-hmm. uh, Russian politician was just wrote a stellar review saying like, wow, Vladislav Sorkov is like, this is going to be a text that people are going to be c- citing for years to come and so on and so forth. And, and I was like, <laughs> and to me, it just reeked of like, like exaggerating the importance of this text. And th- this text says all sorts of strange thing. It says, I think the strangest part is that it says something to the effect of, you know, as we all know, America is run by the deep state, but in Russia, we don't have a deep state. We only have the deep people and we have, uh, you know, Putin who's like the perfect embodiment of, of, um, of the people. And so I guess my question is, uh, you know, does the, the the Sorkov's latest work figure into conspiracy theories and figure into uh, conspiracy scenarios from
0: earlier in the two thousands? I, I it's okay, it's a joke, but let's formulate this question: What the hell is wrong with the Russian deep state? <laughs> okay, <laughs> why do I do, why why are we talking about the deep people, right? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I think that these particular texts is a great example of how Ladislav Sarkov is trying to be fashionable in using a popular ideas, mm-hmm. popular ideas from abroad. Mm-hmm. I guess he was referring to the United States, right, which is again another fashionable thing to do among Russian political and intellectual elites, but he forgets about the fact that the deep state, the concept of deep state, originated in Turkey, ah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So in Turkish politics, deep state, uh i i I've, I've read a fascinating article by one of my colleagues from the project on comparative analysis of conspiracy theories the guy from turkey and he he talks about that so the, the basically this idea about the deep state in turkish politics emerged back in the 1970s mm-hmm. right and various factions in in the in the, in the parliament were accusing the deep states of conspiracy against them but they all seen deep states like the actors of the deep state in different, you know, departments of the government, right? right? In different political parties, amongst uh, intelligence services, etc. right? But then at some point when this like the notion of, like fake news or deep state emerged in the United States and in, in, among, amongst Americans, then, you know, Vladislav Sorkov picks this up and says, hey, like we also have a deep state. Of course we do because it's bureaucracy. Essentially, what, what, what American kind of far right are criticizing, uh, <laughs> when, they, when they say it, they criticize the bureaucracy of the government, uh, right? Yeah. But then it also connects with the whole notion that the government cannot do good for a ordinary American, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, if we look at Russia, Hey, we also have a big, deep state, and that's quite powerful too. Yeah. Even more powerful than in the United States, uh-huh. right? Yeah. But then, what the hell is this? These deep deep people, right? Yeah. What, that what is that? What is that? It's just another version of the populist concept that yeah. Russians are so different yeah. in their kind of attitudes, yeah. in their views to the world, yeah. and that's why they cherish the presence of Vladimir Putin. Yeah. That's uh, I, th- I think Surko, or I think Pushkov, right? You, may, you imagine yes. Pushkov. Pushkov was just trying to, you know, to be kind to one of the important political yeah. players. But then again, uh, if you if you look at this, if you analyze this 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 text from kind of from the point of view of political science or political philosophy, this text wouldn't have any sense. Mm-hmm. It's because like laughable. it's so convoluted. Yeah. Yes. right? and like every paragraph is kind Of this example, of how you not write a political text, even even if it's like it's a major statement by a major intellectual in, in Russian politics. Like, so whom are you trying to convince? Who is the receiver of that text? And apparently, like some, like most of the political scientists in Russia said, it's Vladimir Putin, right? So, Vladislav Sarkov uses now the media and was Inzavissimaya Gazeta, which was was very very much kind of (laughs) involved in Russian politics by by nature. Uh, It's it's like, he is the recipient and kind of, Surkov maybe, although it might sound like a conspiracy here, maybe tries to convince uh, Vladimir Putin that, you know, you should should definitely stay forever and I have a plan how you can stay, Mm. right? Yeah. I, I What I
1: do know is that when that article came out and then my Russian friends and I all started discussing it, what were the re- reactions? The reactions were laughter and like it was almost like absurdly funny and it's clear that it has this tongue-in-cheek kind of tone that he's almost trolling mm. kind of Western mm. observers in mm-hmm. Russia. And then the other thing was just kind of a frustration that, wow, if, if like... If an opposition activist posted this text on his VK page, he could, the, the crime is Padre right? <laughs> because he says that like, oh, the Russian constitution doesn't even matter. And like, you know, people are, you know, have legal processes started against them for saying these things, but yeah, he can do it. Um, yeah. yeah. Fifty
0: shades of Russian politics. Yeah. yeah.